looking to reach new potential customers, SRD can help. We work with any size business and budget. Plus, our amazing listener base grows every day. For more information on how your business can advertise with us, feel free to send us an email at sportsradiodet at gmail.com. SRD, Detroit's podcasting home. They may not know everything about sports, but the view from their couch is pretty good. So kick back and enjoy a brew, because you know they already are. Here is Eric Dorsch. They're crazy enough to let me be in charge. Russ Ivanek. 8 out of 10 from the judges. 5 out of 10 from the German judge. And Justin Marcus. Our okay. best defense has been long, hard, and yellow all year long. This is Armchair Sports Talk. All right, everybody, welcome into Armchair Sports Talk. Uh, like the intro says, I'm your host, Eric Dorsch. Uh, I got a lot to talk about today, so not a lot of buildup. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, we'll bring in Justin Marcus. What's popping? How you doing, friend? Everything good with you? Hey, I'm I'm inside. I'm not outside, and the bald head did not freeze over today, so I'm good. Oh, man, I couldn't imagine that shiny dome freezing over. That would be tough. That would be very, not, very tough. Not a good look. Yeah. Another guy who I know absolutely would have loved to have gone outside had it not been negative 20 is Russ Ivanak. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I was uh, I was going to bring myself in with a joke about, you know, it being so cold, hell froze over, and, and the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl, but literally everyone I've talked to since Monday has made that joke, so I think we're covered. Yeah, I know. You just don't want to recycle that kind of stuff. You want to be as fresh as you can for this kind of thing, so I understand it. Yeah. Uh, assuming you, you're the same, probably worked from home today, didn't even bother stepping outside if you didn't have to? Yeah, no, me, me and the dog went outside, and we both decided 20 seconds was too much. <laughs> oh, there's a joke there. I'm not going to make it. But... <laughs> hey, hey, we, we, got out, yeah. we got our job done, and there's always something to be said for efficiency. Oh, yeah, I, I know for a fact <laughs> that there are a few women in our lives that love our efficiency, so... Uh, oh. <laughs> and that's and that's our podcast. Have that's our yeah. everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, we had it, nothing you know. to talk about this week. It's <laughs> not like there's a major story coming or anything. Uh that's our podcast. Uh I'm Eric Dorsch, Russ Ivanak, Justin Marcus. Have a good one. This <laughs> Um but we do have a lot to talk about today. And what's weird is this is one of those podcasts where we're gonna touch on at least one of our teams, but we're kind of doing it inadvertently because everything we have to talk about today has something to do around leagues, around the NBA, in the NHL, even in the NFL. So this is weird. This kind of feels like we're we're not really sticking to Detroit, but in a way we're going to do our best to stay as close to Detroit as we can. So uh, first we're going to continue with our little Super Bowl conversation. Uh, we made our predictions last week. Now we're going to have a little more fun with it, and we're going to go with the prop bets for this week. Uh, Super Bowls this Sunday should be a good one. Uh, very excited. Jay has made the terrible mistake of picking the Rams. We're going to watch that not pay off for him. But uh, to start, let's just have some fun with some prop bets, some classic prop bets. Uh, we did this last year. We're going to do it again this year and have fun with it. So uh, I'm going to go through, read you the prop bet. You're going you're gonna to give me your decision on it, and uh, we're going to see who uh, who's right after this is all said and done. So, uh, Jay, you'll lead it off. Uh, the first one, very easy. You got a 50-50% chance you're going to get this right. Uh, coin toss. Uh, heads all day. Heads, yeah. heads never fails. So yeah. I know the tails never fails, but if you go backwards on it, heads is much better. So <laughs> heads is much better. 
Okay, that's fair. Uh, it is actually Tales Never Fails, but hey, <clears throat> teach their own. You're, you're rebranding something different, man. You're, you're an <laughs> entrepreneur in all ways. Uh, all right. <laughs> Russ, uh, <laughs> it's 50-50, so you're going to go with Tails or Heads? We are five minutes in, and I already have a headache from that logic from Justin. So you're going with Heads. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm going with heads because, you know, both teams' mascots have heads, and I didn't grow up with any kind of scary-ass patriots running around with tails. So, yeah, let's go with heads. All right, all right. Well, I'm going to go with the actual tradition, uh, tails never fails. So I'm going to go tails, be a little different from you two. Uh, I'm thinking I like my odds of it being tails better than your odds of it being heads. So it should, it should be fun. Again, I'm throwing weird math to you, Russ. We're going we're gonna... to... Yeah, this is... We're, we're gonna make that brain explode. <laughs> yeah, we're halfway there. <laughs> uh, next prop bet is at the end. Someone's gonna win that Gatorade that gets poured on the coach. What color is it gonna be? Uh, I'll leave this one off, and I'm I'm gonna go with a color I have yet to ever predict in this. I'm gonna go with orange. I think it's just gonna be that classic orange Gatorade. I I, I like that one. So I'm going to go orange, and uh, it's going to look really good being poured on Belichick, and then we can have a collage of all the different colors poured on him over the years as he wins his sixth Super Bowl. Uh, Russ, what about you? So uh, I looked up the odds for this. Orange is actually the favorite right now, so I, I like where your head's at. But uh, I'm, I'm going to go a little different. I'm going to go with uh, clear or water uh, because reasons. Because reasons? Because reason, I don't, dude. It, it's the Gatorade bath. Belichick has actually avoided it his last two years, um, partially because hey, an OT call. But this is this is as random as random gets. So I, I try not to put too much thought into it. That's fair, uh, Justin. We know you've put lots of thought into this one. So give us the color of the Gatorade. All right, the Gatorade color is going to be red. Uh, one because they're in Atlanta. Uh, the Falcons are red, so I think there's more. Uh, you know, a local source of red Gatorade there. That, and I think blue and purple have been leading the way for too damn long uh, in the Gatorade world. And I have to believe that Gatorade has a say in what color it is. Maybe people go scoop up a red Gatorade the next day. So give me the fruit punch. Did you really just say that there's a local source of red Gatorade? You've you been the kind of color they it. add, right? That's not like in the water. And like locally sourced. Like, I've got, I've what? got, a, I got, I got a source out there that's, you know, it's, I'm going red. Put my money on red. Oh, your, your source <laughs> okay. is close to the situation. Tell you it's going to be okay. red. All right. Yeah, I hope yep. it is. You've been talking to Chris Broussard a little too much, buddy. Um, <laughs> next one, uh, Pat's score in every quarter. This one, this one should be a humdinger because I, I could see Jay not liking this one at all. He wants it to be Patriots to have zero at the end of this game. But, uh, Ross, for you, do you see the Patriots at least putting up three in each quarter? I do. If we look at their playoff games this year and their last two Super Bowl appearances, there's only one quarter across those four games where they didn't score a point. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet on them scoring at least a field goal every quarter. Okay. I, I'm going to wager that, that no points has to be in the first half of the Atlanta game. Yep, that, that, that is the one time. That would be my wager. Um, Jay, what about you? Points from the Pats in every quarter? No, no. This is this is the downturn of their domination. You know, they they got this mantra of "we're still here." Well, "still here" is connotation that you know people think you're gone. So I'm I'm ready to kick them out. So no, this is where they fall short. Okay, 
Uh, I'm gonna agree with Russ, like you said. The minutes or the Atlanta Super Bowl was the only one where they didn't score uh, in a quarter, and we saw how that one ended. So it's not terrible if they don't score in a quarter because they still seem to come up with the victory. But uh, I'm gonna go with yes, they do score at least three in each quarter. Uh, next one, Jay. Which team scores first? That would be the Los Angeles Rams. The Los Angeles Rams. Do you have a reasoning for that, or are you just genuinely they're gonna flip for heads because heads never fails, and then score on their very first play? Sean McVay. Sean, that's your reasoning. Sean McVay. Sean McVay. Sean McVay. Sean McVay. It's it's not a bad reasoning to have, but uh, okay. No. Sean McVay. Sean McVay. Uh, Russ, what about you? Who scores I'm first? Go, I'm going to go with the Pats scoring first. Uh, okay. They've scored first every game this postseason so far, and the Rams seem to be more of a slow-starting team. I saw it against the Saints, saw it against the Lions earlier this year. I think uh, if anyone's more likely to start off slow and then pick up steam later, it's going to be the Rams. All right. That's, uh, that's fair. Uh, I'm actually going to say the Rams score first. Uh, I think it's going to be tails. Tails never fails. Unfortunately, it's going to be the Rams that get tails. They're going to, they're, you know, they're going to get out and they're going to come out swinging, have some early success. Patriots are going to kind of maybe start slow a little bit. I could see Gurley, you know, running it in for one. So that would be my, uh, yeah. I'm going to say Rams score first, but unfortunately, they don't score as often as the Patriots. Uh, next one's a pretty popular one. I, I always like this one because there's just so many choices that it can be. Uh, that first commercial, will it be a beer distributor, a soft drink, or a car commercial? You got many to choose from. One of us works for a major car company, so uh, I'm going to let him go first, and he better pick the right one or his employer may not be happy with him. <laughs> well, I'm actually going to go with beer. Uh, I'm, I'll steer away from car companies because anyone that went down to the auto show this year noticed uh, a lot of companies were pulling out. Um just the attendance from different manufacturers was way down. So if, if they're not going to spend the money to go to the big event named for the product they produce, um, I'm thinking they're not going to put as much money forward for ads. So give, give me the beer, Bud, Bud Light. I mean, they're, they're always going to be there anyways. So I'll, I'll take my chance with what I'm most likely to be drinking that day. That's <laughs> fair. That's fair. Uh, Jay, what about you? You going beer, soft drink, car? Other, so I'm I'm going pop. I don't know about the soft drink issue, but um, <laughs> pop pop for sure. And I'm going Pepsi in specifics. Um, Steve Carell had some ad where he was um, uh, he was reading off some. Wait, was it Steve Carell? Oh shit, I'm gonna screw it up already. Who's who's in the office? Who played Michael Scott? Steve Carell talking Carell. about Brian, Carell. talking about uh, Brian Baumgartner shooting in uh, for. In one of the episodes, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Gotcha. Thank you. Okay, so Steve Carell, that's what I was saying. He's doing a Pepsi read, and he looked at it, and he laughs, and he goes into the Michael Scott laugh. I pray to God the Super Bowl opens up with a like office reunion Pepsi ad. I know it's a stretch, but that's that's if that's number one. Super Bowl is already the greatest ever. Okay. All right. No, that I would agree. That that is a good one, and Steve Carell is just great in general. So you, you can't go wrong with what you're getting there. All right. So we've got beer because Russ loves beer. We've got it's soft true facts. Well, it's true facts. I'm, I, I I don't give you fake news on this show. Everything I tell you is 100% true in my head. Uh, soft drink for Jay. It's soft drink, Jay. That's what the notes say. Stick to the notes. <laughs> then why isn't, why isn't Russ hard drink? Because it's beer. 
But Bud Light is <laughs> not Jack vodka. Daniels, dude. Like it, it's beer. You know, if it's, it's going to be soft. Something else has to be hard. No, no, it's be, it's beer. It's that thing you put in your cereal every morning in college. So oh, what? Oh, this explains so much. Yeah, it does. It really does. <laughs> uh, so one, two. I, I, I mean, I, I guess I'll go with car. It's the only one not chosen. Uh, I think someone's going to be represented here. Like, you know, Ford, Chevy, those guys. You're going to see one. I think they're going to try to get one out early. You know, over the years, the Budweiser commercials have always been big. Pepsi's done such a great job. Uh, so I'm going to go with car commercial. Uh, it's it's probably going to be Russ's, uh, Russ's company, Ford, but we'll see. I, I, I like my chances here that it's going to be a car commercial. So we'll go with I that. I would be quite surprised. Hey, you never but, know, though. Hey, we'll see. Yeah. You never know. Uh, I could always go with other and pick Doritos because I feel like they have a commercial every other commercial nowadays. Oh, yeah. So, um, but I'll go car. You know, take take my chances here. Uh, next is the National Anthem. And we're going to go with an over-under for the National Anthem. So, Jay, I'll let you go first here. Over-under for how long this National Anthem will be. All right. So, can we set the over-under? Then yeah. we can all work off of that. Say... It's it's 1.45. 1.45. Okay. Minute 45. I can live with that. Minute 45 is the average over the last, I think, four Super Bowls. That's why they picked it. And I'm taking the over. I'm going to hammer the over on it. There's no way it's under a minute 45. Not with who's doing it this year. Who's doing it? Um... Yeah, Gladys Knight. Uh, she's from uh, Gladys Hart. I think Rush just said it. Knight. Yeah, Gladys Knight. Oh, Gladys Knight. Knight. Oh, okay, okay. Taking the over oh, all yeah, day. Well, I I think he's hearkening back to some Aretha Franklin uh, national anthem. So uh, now knowing who it is, because I didn't know who it was, uh, I, I'll actually go with you on that. You know, these these soul singers, they like to really hold the notes. So I could definitely see it being probably above two minutes, but you never know. Can I, throw in, can I throw in a little jab for you on that? Yeah, sure. Her average is roughly around a minute 45 as well. Oh, okay. okay. This is a big stage, though. This is a big moment. So uh, nope. I'm going to I'm gonna go with, I'm going to still stick with my uh, my over. I like that. That's a good one. Uh, Russ, where are you at with this one? Well, I'm, I mean, looking at you guys taking the over, it's, it's not like she's going to take up a minute for each of the pips that she brings along with her. Like, mm-hmm. I'm taking the under. Uh, it seems like every year we think, man, it's going to take forever. And like some years, like Pink, it didn't even come close. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm going to go and uh, take the under and hope I'm right because it's that much closer to the next break and play where I can go take a bathroom break. <laughs> from all the from all the beer you're going to be consuming. Oh, of course. See, you're yeah. getting the theme. I'm, I'm picking up on Russ doesn't remember most Super Bowls for reason that he is a he is taken by the media and what they advertise and he's he's a he's a buyer he buys what's advertised so lots of beer good uh next one these next two are actually great because i know they're both gonna really enrage justin because of his <laughs> hatred his hatred uh so jay we're gonna let you go first on this one does one of the announcers say goat during this game oh god damn it <laughs> <laughs> thrilled no, I mean no, I'm, I'm, no. Like that's, that's that's overplayed. That's that's like when the kids are screaming, "It's lit!" Like that's no. That that was 2018. We're done with the goat. Can we move on from farm animals, please? Move on from farm animals, please. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's a no goat for uh, for Jay. 
Uh, Russ, what about you? Are you thinking that they're going to mention Tom Brady being the GOAT during this game? Or even Belichick. Oh. Belichick, you know, you can also use that in that that uh, circumstance as well. Oh, absolutely. We got, we got two shots at Romo getting way too excited and slipping into what he thinks is young people hip talk. Yeah. He is definitely going to say GOAT at some point in this game. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I'm going to – I'm. this is weird because we all know – I'm a big Brady guy. Uh, I'm going to go with no. The GOAT is not mentioned. They'll discuss how great Brady is, but on this stage, at this moment, if he wins it, it's already solidified, but if he wins it, I could see it. But during that game, no, I do not see the GOAT being mentioned. They'll talk about how great he is, how he's you know, been nothing but perfect on this stage when the opportunity arises. So no GOAT, but they will definitely talk about his greatness in perspective. Uh, Russ, the next one, because it kind of ties in, at some point, will you hear one of these announcers say dynasty when it comes to the Patriots? Absolutely. I I feel like we throw around dynasty so much. You hear it on a broadcast if a team's won, you know, 10 games in back-to-back seasons. It, it's so easy. So if we're going to talk about a team that's been to three straight Super Bowls, that can actually be called the dynasty, yeah, it's warranted and someone's going to bring it up. It'll probably be either early in the game as they're trying to set the table or late in the game if the Patriots are up. It's uh, it's on the docket. I'm locking it in. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Jay, what about you? The Rams are never going to let them take the lead. They'll never say the word dynasty. Ooh. <laughs> All right, that's a bold, bold prediction. I like it. It's a bold prediction. All right, now – Seeing that I, I I feel saltiness coming through the microphone, uh, I I we're gonna get we're gonna get off track for just one brief moment here as I ask this question because speaking dynasty, it's a it's a perfect moment to ask this question. Uh, Russ, you'll go first here, real quick. You don't have to you know if you don't have to want to get too deep into it, you don't have to. When you look back at the dynasties over the years of all these of all different sports, you've got the Canadians, you've got. The Boston Celtics winning all those titles. You've got UCLA winning, like, multiple consecutive national titles. When you look at it, these Patriots of the the early 2000s, this team has to be right towards the top when it comes to dynasties in all-time sports. Assuming they win this one? Well, even if they don't win, they've still been to nine Super Bowls in how many years and won five... I mean, no, this, this it, team's been to the AFC Championship, I think, every but, like, one or two years. No, this team is a legitimate dynasty in, in every sense of the term. Like, and we get some teams like, oh, they went to two, you know, they're a dynasty. Like, no, no, they're not. Like, that decade was owned by a team. That's what makes them a dynasty. And, and the Patriots 100% are. But if you want to start talking all-time dynasties, like, we don't talk about the Bills that lost four straight. Mm-hmm. So the Pats need to win this one. And then, yeah, I'm ready to put them up there. But they're, they are definitely knocking on the door, and, and I got time to I got time to entertain talks of them already being up there. I just think they need one more. Well, I think the early early Patriots, three titles in four years. You've got, yeah. you got the, the undefeated team, which they didn't get it. Uh, the Giants appeared to be their kryptonite in all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's been one of those, and obviously a lot of people are going to say the, you know, the horrible play call to throw the ball instead of running it, uh, for Seattle, you know, but then the comeback against Atlanta has to factor in it. And 
for me, you mentioned the Buffalo. Buffalo absolutely has to be in that talk, but I think in order for it to be a dynasty, I think you have to capture the titles. Exactly. I, I feel like it's hard to say dynasty if you don't have the rings. And that's the thing. When it comes to hardware, the Patriots can back up the hardware. They've got all this AFC hardware. They've got the Super Bowls and titles to prove it. I honestly believe if they complete that 0-16 season, I mean that 16-0 and season, and beat the Giants, I don't think there's any question you can even not put them at the top undefeated. But, I mean, yes, you got Boston winning 10 championships. Montreal has all those. You've got teams on top of teams, the Lakers and Celtics of the early of the late 80s. It, it, it is hard, but I genuinely think this team, when you look back at everyone, there's, there's been very few teams that have had this much success over a 20-year period. Usually it's a five-year, six-year hot streak, and then there's turnover. This team has somehow managed to go 20 years without any turnover, and that's that's very hard to do. But, Justin... I know, I know how you feel about Tom Brady. I know how you feel about Belichick. If you can put that aside as a sports commentator, can you easily say this Patriots team of the 2000s is one of the top dynasties in sports history? No. I knew it. <laughs> there's, a couple, there's a couple gates in their way, uh, one being a spy gate and one being a deflate gate. I, I, don't, I don't recall the Habs cheating. I don't recall any other of the other dynasties having – you know, a soiled sense of, of winning. I mean, there's, there's, there's issues with both of those investigations that took place that maybe at the time when it was written, it wasn't illegal, but now it is. But I guess I don't, I don't like the, the little asterisks right by their, by their name. Um, are they good? Yes. Are they dominant? Yes. But did they break some rules throughout the process? Yes. Do most teams probably break rules and it doesn't get publicized? Maybe. But all we know from our perspective is, there's some, uh, there's you know, there's some pretty damning things out there against them that, um, you know, it just it, it kind of irks me just a little bit to say like a complete robust dynasty when there's shit like that happening. Okay, those those two gates you speak of, those were two years. They were, they've got five rings. So three of these rings, potentially four if they win this one, ha- have, you know, I have no speculation to them. But I will also I would like to add in those those teams you mentioned. You know, you never heard of, you know, Montreal cheating. You never heard of Boston cheating. The thing I will put to you is this team has also managed to say this successful in a league with free agency being what it is. This kind of, The free agency didn't exist like this back when these other teams were winning these titles. The Patriots had to stay consistently good while losing players to free agency and being a team who is very, very stingy when it comes to paying anyone not named Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. So to do that alone, that, that shows a front office and a staff that really knew exactly what they were doing and maneuvered perfectly. Other than Randy Moss, name the last Hall of Fame wide receiver Tom Brady has had on his team. The dude has made it with a bunch of nobodies who would have been backup wide receivers on most other teams. I mean, he won his first three Super Bowls with uh, Dion Branch and Givens. He like he and he couldn't win it when he had the big names. So now he's winning Super Bowls with Chris Hogan and Julian Edelman and two thirds of Gronkowski because I'm pretty sure his left leg is actually a robotic leg now. So more than the left leg. You know what I'm saying? Though? It's just it's one of those things where. You, you, yes, there's always going to be this controversy. There's always going to be, yeah, this team clearly cheated to do this, or 
And I'm not saying that, you know, Deflategate and Spygate aren't what they are. They, they are. You know, that Deflategate thing, it's a big deal. But at the same time, you still got to win these games, and they still went out and won those games. I think to say they're not one of the top franchises in sports history is just anyone who says that, I think, is just really just looking for a way to deny what they've done. I, I, but I agree with your points. I mean, they obviously had a plan in their office and how they were going to operate as a company, which I won't fault them for that. It, it clearly worked. Um, but there's just there's that little cringe factor involved. Like, but you kind of did these things. Like, I, I they didn't do it during like you know. I mean, the, the the football yes during the game, the spying yeah that happened before the game. But it's just like there's just those little things. Like, the, I don't think anyone's ever going to just gloss over them. So maybe it's more of like a footnote. Yeah, I mean, that's fair to say. I, the, these are things that, while they've never been fully proven, they have, you know, they're always going to be in speculation. So uh, it was just, it's a topic that with this team having the success they had, you've got to, you know, it's got to be discussed of, you know, in sports, this is what we do. We rank teams. We put them, you know, higher than other. It's why there's always the conversation of who's the greatest at what sport. So that's just how it has to be. Uh, now, right now, our next prop bet actually is with a guy who is considered one of the best in the league at this moment in his position. And that's who is going to have more rushing yards in this game, Todd Gurley or Sony Michelle. Now me, we all know how I feel. Uh, I, I like Sony Michelle because I had him on my fantasy team. Oh, good for you. So, and Todd Gurley's playing terrible right now. He just cannot figure out what's going on out on that football field. So, for the first time, I'm going to lead it off, and I'm going to actually go with Sony Michelle. I think if Gurley struggles, this is a pressure situation. This is obviously this is uh, Sean McVay's first Super Bowl. This is uh, Golf's first Super Bowl. There's going to be a little more pressure there, and I think if the running game's not there and Gurley's not going, I think you see them kind of back away and try to go with something they have a little more comfort with, putting the ball in Golf's hands and letting him just kind of spread the field. So I'm going to go with Sony Michelle on this one. This isn't Belichick and Brady's first time. They're going to be comfortable. They're not going to break from their game plan. You know, they're going to hand the ball off to Michelle. The only thing that hurts them is they do kind of have a stable of running backs. So if Sony Michelle's not having the hot night, they could get away from him, and it could be hard for him to see the field again. So that's the only kind of uh, scary factor when making this this guess. But for me, I am going to go with Sony Michelle. It's just how I feel, especially with how Gurley's been playing lately. Uh, Russ, what about you? So I'm I'm going to go with Gurley despite his recent play because as as also a fantasy football player I have spent the last 15 years getting burned by trying to pick which New England running back is going to do well this week mm-hmm. and I am sick of getting burned please get me off this ride it, does Sony Michelle have the talent and and fit in this scheme to put up more yards than Gurley in this game absolutely um, could it be Rex Burkhead's day instead. Yeah, absolutely. Who don't? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take more of the sure thing. I think the Rams are going to make a, a real commitment to make sure Gurley doesn't say he sucks again. And uh, it, it might not be good for either of them. It might be like 60 yards versus 40 yards, but I think Gurley will come on, on top. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Jay, what about you? Um, I'm in the same camp as Russ. I had Burkhead and Michelle on one of my leagues this year, and it was a nightmare balancing. Um, so from my own personal perspective, I'm never getting involved with uh, New England backfield in any way at all. Um, but Gurley also had a cool quote uh, on Monday night uh, for their media night 
that he only rocks a hundred grand or, or more around his neck. So this man is just, he's loaded. And I hope that that translates to him outrunning CJ Anderson. Uh, so I'm going girly for the Super Bowl. All right. That's fair. Uh, again, I'm, I'm on my own here. So when these bold predictions come through, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and then the last one, <clears throat> this one was added, you know, just recently. And it's, it's a brilliant one because it, 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 you get to have fun with this because believe me, the Saints are not having fun with this. So, and the last one is, and I, I have to ask this, pardon my ignorance, is this dude's first name really Nickel? Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay, I just need to make sure, got to do my due diligence to make sure I say it right. The dude's name is Nickel. So, <laughs> Nickel, Roby, Nickel Roby Coleman. Born to be a corner, man. Born, born to, to be a, be defensive a back. corner, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or born to make uh, make a play fi- uh, fifth of the time. Uh, here we go. Nickel Roby Coleman. Controversial pass interference. Should have been called pass interference uh, against the Saints. Ended up costing the Saints the game. He's going to be covering Hogan. He's going to be covering Edelman. He's going to be covering some, you know, some guys who are very good at what they do and are very precise in their route running. He's going up against a team that, you know, gets the calls. So it has to be asked. Jay. Will we see a pass interference call against Nickel Roby Coleman? Yes. That, without a doubt, he's going to have a stigma on him where anyone, you know, is in his vicinity and he goes to defend some hand play, whatever. Um, there's going to be at least one flag on him. So I, I will go yes on Mr. Nickel. Right, and adding a little, little, little add to this. Do you think that the, like you said, there's going to be a stigmatism. Do you think that you're going to see these refs kind of give the benefit of the doubt to the Patriots because of this. The refs are going to kind of be, this is going to be Goodell's way of making it up, saying, hey, make sure you guys call this one absolutely perfect. We have this problem again, and I'm losing my job. I don't trust the NFL to do anything right after making the mistake once, to be honest. Okay. They, they make a lot of mistakes, and they repeat it until they are crucified for it. So um, I, I, just, I just think something there's some stank on it, and when he gets close, I think they're going to call it. Um, so I don't, I don't trust them to just try to be perfect. So it's going to happen again. Okay. Uh, Russ, same question. Do you, do you see a pass interference call against him? And do you see this being potentially a little bit of a makeup because of the, uh, missing it in the championship game? I think it will happen almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> not, ne- not necessarily a makeup, but a, maybe an overcorrection because I don't want to be the next ref to not call pass interference on this guy. It is maybe the most popular storyline leading up to the Super Bowl, and you cannot let it be a day longer than it has to be already. Get out there, call it, because if you don't, if the first one comes, even if it's mild, it doesn't even have to be egregious, it's going to get plastered everywhere, and the league is just going to continue to get beat up about this. So, yeah, and if I'm the ref, I'm walking over, to Roby Coleman before the game and going, hey, sorry, bud, I'm, I'm keeping a closer eye on you because uh, I saw the death threats those guys got, and I'm not, I'm not here for that. Okay, that's fair. Um, yeah, uh, my usual mistake of letting Russ go first, he literally took every talking point I had. Uh, when will you learn? He's very good at that. That's see, that's the one thing about hosting this show. I have to pose the questions for you guys, and I usually end up losing my talking points because I let two people who are marginally smarter than me talk before me, so I usually have to come out of nowhere. I, I, I'm the same way, though. I think this is going to be an early call. Uh, I agreed with Jay. I think these refs are going to get a little early on 
just to set the tempo and show they're actually calling it both ways and paying close attention. You're going to see a lot of tic-tac hand stuff not be acceptable. As they get a little later in the game, I could see the play, you know, let them play mentality kicking in. But these refs are going to be under a microscope, and if they miss one, it, it's going to be a big, big deal. So you're going to see very close call. Uh, I, I think very early pass interference call against him. It, you know, it is what it is, but we are where we are here. They they missed a clear-cut call. This should be Saints against Patriots in the Super Bowl, unfortunately. Missed the call. So, yeah, I think very early pass interference call. And I just hope that while they – I hope they are diligent in their calls and all that, I really hope this doesn't turn into a laundry fest of a yellow flag on the field every five minutes because that just takes the fun out of it. So there, there is a fine line here, and I hope they can walk it the right way. But Jay said it best. I don't trust the NFL after they haven't after they missed the call the first time. So I'm right there with you on that one. So uh, those are our prop bet predictions for this year. Should be a good one. We're going to all be watching closely uh, on Sunday, and we'll, we can recap them next week, see how everybody did. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. I think I'm going to be a winner as usual. So <laughs> uh, moving on to something I'm not winning because I just can't seem to ever call it right here. Uh, we're going to do our plays of the week. Now, obviously all NFL season, these were all NFL plays. Now that the NFL is basically over, we're expanding outward and trying to find plays everywhere. Uh, saw a lot of lot of great choices this week, and the one surprising me was Jay didn't pick a hockey play. He actually decided, you know what, we're going to start talking basketball. Let me branch out into basketball. So Love the commitment. Yeah, it's it's. I'm so happy for you, buddy. I'm very very proud of you on this one. Good job, great job. Um, <clears throat> so Jay, you you're going to lead it off this week. Jay's play was uh, center for the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid absolutely blocking the layup of James Harden, the guy who is just torching every team this year in the NBA. So, Jay, here's your play, and then uh, you can give us your reasoning. Shot clock knocked away there by the Rockets. Here comes Harden with a You know what I love most about that one? You can genuinely hear the swat. It's so loud. <laughs> you can hear him swat that ball. So, uh, Jay... We had a lot happen this past week. A lot happened in sports. What about this block pulls you as the best play of the last week? Well, the the call itself is pretty damn cool. Yeah. Um, like you said, you can hear the swat in the play. Um, for me, though, I just learned what the Euro step was, and that is what <laughs> Harden pulled off to go up to the layup. So I was like, oh, my God, I learned an NBA term, and I see it being applied in the game. So that was cool. Uh, so that was just for me there. Um I love Harden's beard, uh, but not him as an athlete. So the fact that, one, defense is actually being played in the NBA, uh, and two, it's against Harden, that that was just liked out for me. The call was great. The Euro step, which has apparently been around for a while, uh, that's my fault, um, and then the block. It was just it – was, it was excellent. So um, I just wish the NBA played more defense is my only issue, which that's like, no, that's an old take for sure. But uh, the call was just – it was gorgeous. You know what? It really was a great call, and I'm kind of with you on that. To see defense played is kind of a great thing. Usually these games end with somebody scoring 45 points because no one felt like guarding them. So uh, it is it is pretty cool to see. Um, me, I, I, my play of the week is it's it's technically sports. There's no audio for it, 
because there's really no audio to get of it. But for me, it was it's a play that is history. And Russ, I know you and I are the baseball people for the most part. It's history because my play is former Yankees closer Mariano Rivera got elected into the Hall of Fame. Wasn't a surprise to anyone. This guy was a shoe in for the Hall of Fame the the minute he you know handed the baseball over to the coach for the last time. This was legitimately not a surprise. The surprise was in the history of baseball, Mariano Rivera is the first person to ever be unanimously elected into the Hall of Fame, meaning everyone voted yes. Usually you get one or two guys voting no. So for me, that has to be the play of the week is a society of old guys who didn't want to see this ever happen, finally realizing, you know what, it's going to happen eventually there's not really a much better person to do it. The guy is arguably considered the, one of the greatest closers to ever do this. Played for the Yankees for almost 20 years. Ama- you know, amazing, amazing uh, guy. Has 652 saves all time. The one interesting fact I didn't know. You know I've been obviously been watching this guy my whole life. And Ross, I don't know if you knew this one. He was the last guy to ever be able to wear number 42 permanently. Yep. Which I think is amazing. Jay, if you don't know that. The mm-hmm. MLB no, retired. Yeah, MLB retired. Just like Gretzky, they retired forty-two for Jackie. Yep. I, mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. It, it really is cool. But for me, that's a play. You know, history was made, and obviously we're gonna have another one with Russ. Russ decided to go history as well. But history was made. It was a guy who deserved it and got it. And the little audio I was able to find was him getting the call. Family's very ecstatic for him, and then saying, "But there's another thing. You're the first player to ever be." You can't hear anything after that because it's him and his family celebrating so loudly because history was made. This guy is the first person to ever be unanimously in the Hall of Fame. And that, to me, is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Fair to say? Absolutely. It's just, it's absolutely great. So, obviously, like I said, I felt weird not having audio for it, but this is one that it was just too good of a, a, a thing in sports to pass up on this opportunity. So uh, my play, Mariano Rivera, closer for the Yankees, first ever unanimously elected to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Russ, you, you again went history, but you went history in an in a amazing way. I, I don't usually, I, I watch the all-star stuff and the skills stuff, but I usually watch it like on replay or when I get a minute. I don't usually go coast to coast with it. For the first time in as many years as I can remember, I genuinely found myself sitting down at the TV and, you know, grabbing Aaron to come sit with me and genuinely only cared about seeing this because for the speed skating, something that Dylan Larkin should still be the champion of, but unfortunately they don't seem to want to let him, you know, compete for his title. uh, We saw a female USA hockey player compete in this and, no offense to the guys, this girl held her own. She held her own in this. So here's Russ's play. It's a little long, but you know what? It was such a big thing that we just had to get it all. So here's your play, Russ, and then you can uh, give us your reasoning. Connor McDavid has won the last two, but this is the first time for Kendall Coyne Schofield. And this will be pretty close, if not faster, than what all these guys are going to skate tonight. Oh boy, look at that stride. Talk about no fear around the corners. Fantastic. 
And a terrific move by the National Hockey League as the players all stand and applaud at the benches to bring Kendall Coyne Schofield along with some other national team members here to participate in the All-Star Game and promote the women's game. And that lap just did an awful lot of promotion. That lap just did an awful lot of promotion. Russ, it's an, it's an obvious choice, but what about this play resonated with you that this had to be your play of the week? Well, I'll say it's about damn time. This, is, this was something historic because we're finally acknowledging women's hockey on a large platform where it needs to be. This is, I, I almost wanted to take Brianna Decker setting the, uh, rec- setting the lead on the uh, premier passing thing because her time was faster than Dreisaitl's who won it. But the next step in that would be her actually competing, and that's what Kendall Coyne Schofield did here. And she did in a time less than a second away from McDavid, who won it. She's 5'2", right? Those are some little legs to be pumping that fast. Just about half the population is women. Just about half the potential fans are women. How about we show our fans something they're interested in. And this was something like, as, as you mentioned, you tuned in, right? At Twitter, I couldn't go more than two posts without seeing someone. People were excited about this, and they should be. I, I went out and bought tickets to the USA game in February. That's coming to the Little Caesars mm-hmm. right after this. Right? Like this. This was exciting. This was something that potential hockey players in the future got to look at this and go, hey, that could be me. And I applaud the NHL for finally doing something to actually prove hockey is for everyone. Um, plus, hey, Edmonton, I hear you're looking for speed. Uh, they did their little <laughs> skills competition without McDavid and Dreisaitl. Uh, she would have come in first with her time. So just saying, it was, uh, it was something for all time, and it's one of the coolest things that I've seen in, in quite a while. And I don't, I don't know how you can love hockey and not love that. No, it was it was an amazing thing to watch. Like I said, it was one of those things where I, I knew I had to sit down and see it. I could see it on replay and all that, but watching it live and watching this girl do what she did, and they even say in the beginning, this is going to be fat, as fast, if not faster, than the times these guys are going to put up. Like you said, this girl's 5'2". We all know my yeah. sister. My sister's 5'2". That's my sister's height going out there and doing that as fast as she could. I couldn't get halfway around that rink in that time. And this <laughs> no. girl's 5'2 doing it. So She's blazing. It's, I mean, ch- check her out. She shows it in games, too. It is, it is something to see. It was absolutely stunning to see. It was amazing, and it really is. It's a change in the game. It's something new we haven't seen, and it's it's a step in the right direction. You're not changing the game for, for the detriment of the game. You're changing it to improve it and to prove mm-hmm. that, you know what, some of these girls are legitimately that good. There are some of these girls that could really give these guys a hard time. They've got talent. They've got speed. And I've said it multiple times. One of my the funnest things I've watched in hockey recently was watching the Olympics and watching those girls play to win that medal. That was a lot of fun to watch. I was, mm-hmm. I was on my feet, genuinely getting into the game here at work, just could not take my eyes off the TV, and I was genuinely nervous. I, I don't, the last time I was that nervous was watching the Pistons win an NBA championship against the Lakers when I was like 13. So that's why I was genuinely engaged in this and really, really wanted to see this happen for us. So it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It's changing the game. It's a very, very cool thing. Uh, so those are our plays of the week. Three great ones. 
saw history made, saw why Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid is the best center in the league right now. Uh, just a lot of fun. We'll put that up on the Twitter poll. Uh, I expect a one-sided victory in this one, but as always, I always have to plug myself. Marion Rivera is always a great choice, but I mean, <laughs> Jay, I think you'll agree with me. Uh, Kendall Coyne, that's that's a hard one to try to beat. Oh yeah, that's we won't come close to it. Trust me. That's fair. All right, so uh, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about someone else who has actually changed the game. Uh, that's Alexander Ovechkin. We're going to talk about what he's done to contribute to this game and the great accolades. And then we're going to talk a little uh, Pistons basketball, talk a little bit about the NBA. A couple guys don't want to be where they are anymore, and uh, we'll, we'll discuss if we think they're going to get their way or if we're going to see a situation where you know, they might be tough out of luck because they're under contract. So uh, all that when we come back here on Armchair Sports Talk. All right, Fred. So the people at Sports Radio Detroit want us to cut a promo for Parsons and Slow. I want them to cut me a check for Parsons and Slow. Well, um, I've I've Googled some keywords, and I'm going to uh, put them here in a promo. So so here it goes. Ready, Fred? Yeah, uh, analytics away. Parsons and Slow. We have the content consumers crave. Listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, uh, anywhere else that podcasts are available, or we'll kill you. We won't really kill you. Just listen to our podcast, brand new, every Friday on Sports Radio Detroit. Okay, I'm ready to do the promo. Oh, that was it. This is Armchair Sports Talk. I'll tell you someone who's actually living the American dream right now, and it uh, it's it's Ovechkin. This dude is living the American dream, and he's not even American. So uh, that's what's great. Uh, our next topic is the fact that, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I may have misread an article at some point wrong. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin is the number one scorer of Russian-born players in the NHL now, correct? Correct. Points, yep. Points, yes, points. So... I mean, that's an amazing feat into into it or of itself. But I mean, the guy's got 1179 points all time. 60 644 goals, 535 assists. He's uh he's got 57 points this year. The guy's 33 and been in the NHL for I believe this is his 14th or 15th year. Uh and he, I just don't see signs of him really slowing down too much. This guy is just a freak of nature when it comes to uh the ho- the game of hockey. So us doing what we do, you know, have to compare players, have to have that debate. Jay, I'll ask you, when you start putting together that list, and we've made lists before of the greatest of all time to do this, when you start putting that list together for NHL players, where is Ovechkin sitting on this list? So there's, there's some criteria he's got to meet for me over the next couple of years, but I honestly think he's going to knuckle in. Uh, in the fourth spot. I think it's going to go Wayne, Howe, or and then Ovechkin when it's all said and done. Um, to to get there, to kind of back up where I'm thinking this is coming from, he's got to win two more titles. Um, and then probably a scoring title to mix in there as well. Um, I think if he gets those three accomplishments, um, he's over Brodeur, he's going to be over Crosby. Currently, he's already um, he's got more points, more games, and more goals than Crosby. Um, Messier has to be in the conversation too. I just think he played in a different point in time. 
Um, Ovechkin will pass all his records with the, the league being the way it is now. Um, Lemieux, Lemieux is my hardest one when I compared it to him. Um, but I think that's where the criteria kicks in. If Ovechkin wins at least two more titles, um, he's in the conversation with the Halls and the Maurice Richards. Um, but I don't think you can really ever project him to be just as good as Wayne uh, or Howe or Orr. So I'm, I got him in the fourth overall when it's all said and done for the great one. Okay. Uh, Jay, uh, I love you. You're, you're one of my best friends. Your, your children love me more than you. But uh, we have to have a little conversation here. Uh, What's you're, up? you're from Detroit. Yes. <laughs> you just put a Bruin over a Red Wing, who is arguably the greatest player to ever play the game. But that's not the biggest problem I have. Um, you just put Bobby Orr above the greatest defenseman of all time, Nick Lindstrom. So we yes. have to have a conversation here on uh, what are you smoking and can I have some? Um, to answer your second question first, of course. But, okay. uh, no, I just, I, I, Lindstrom's important. He's the perfect human. He's the perfect specimen. The way that he played was great. And, yeah, we have a clear bias being from what state we're in. But, like, I can't put Lindstrom up in a top wait, five Wait, 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 wait. Clear, clear bias is – clear about, yes, the Red Wings we, we tend to favor. But And, and that's why I'm, I'm not really that upset with you. You have a Red Wing in the top four. You have a guy right about where he should be. Gordie Howe is, if he's not number two, he, there's a fair argument for him to be number three. That's fine. But I, I'm going to ask you a question, and I, I've told you guys this before. You're both far more intelligent when it comes to hockey than I. But, Jay, when I'm asking you to build a perfect hockey player, please point out the flaw in Nick Lindstrom's game for me that would put him below that list on or. See, I don't think it's a matter of flaws, though, because – like, he, he doesn't have any, all right? Lindstrom played a perfect game. How, I think he had, like, what, six penalty minutes in his career or something? It was, like, single digits. It was I, stupid low. He had about as many as he did checks because the guy never had to hit anyone because he could just take the buck from you. Yeah, but, no, he, okay. he was great. I just – that I, it, it's the way that, like, my style of hockey is knock em, sock em, fight, get in the corners, get in all the dirty spots. You're a grinder. You, do that. you, grind, you grind for out your play. That's There's nothing wrong with right. that. Right. But then when you translate it into the best players, like Lindstrom did what he could have done and he was great, but I don't, I can't put him in top five. There's there's other guys with bigger legacies and bigger boom behind their names than Lindstrom. Okay. Rush, you're staying surprisingly quiet in this conversation. Well, I'm, I'm just listening to you two go at it because I, I honestly think it's a preference thing between the two of them. I think Orr was more offensively gifted, and Lidstrom was more defensively gifted. Now, my one my one little point, though, would you say that he was more offensively gifted or he was just on a team where his offensive abilities were not as much of a necessity? I mean, don't get me wrong. Orr played with – Yeah, because Orr played with – he played with Phil Esposito, right, one of the better scorers of all time. But Lindstrom played on a team where he, he didn't have to score. You have Iserman, Shanahan, Fedorov, you know, then you have Datsuk, Zetterberg. Uh, you have all these guys that he, his his abil- his needs to score the puck were not as high as what they needed for him on the defensive side. So we don't really know what his offensive prowess was because he was never really asked to take on that role. Now, obviously, I'm playing a little bit of a devil's advocate because I've said it before that he's my favorite hockey player of all time. But I also you also look at it, and like you said, it's a preference. There can be an argument either way. I mean, when you get to such an elite talent such as that, you don't 
it's not as much, well, you know, he wasn't asked to score. Like, when you have an all-world, all-history town like that, you fit things around him. Even if you have guys like Eisenman and Federoff playing alongside him. I mean, yeah. Lidstrom still did play his game. Was he offensively gifted? Absolutely. And that's why he can be in this conversation. Um, but or we are still seeing the ripples in how defensemen play the game because of how Orr played the game. He changed it. He was far more of pushing the puck, of, of carrying through, of being a fourth forward at times, whereas Lidstrom was a little more traditional that way. Could he score when he needed to? Absolutely. Did he make that accurate shot off the backboards to the front of the net something that was almost unstoppable? Yeah. Yeah, he was creative too. Um, but that's I see him more well-rounded, whereas Orr was an almost unstoppable offensive force from the blue line. Okay, all right. Well, now that we've had our, our debate, let's we'll get back to the topic. <laughs> well, we'll get back to the topic. Oh, did we have a topic? We here? had a topic for this. It was great. And what's hilarious is we're talking about someone who needs to be in this conversation too. Uh, I get it's your turn when you mm-hmm. look at the career of this guy of Alexander Ovechkin. One of the most elite scorers to ever do this. Where is he sitting on this list when you put it together? Uh, I I also have a hard time putting him in my top five. Oh, um, I he's maybe top five forwards. I'm because Gretzky, Howe, Yager, Lemieux are up there. Can Ovi break that in? Yeah, maybe if he defies odds and continues to produce at this rate for five, six more years, then absolutely we can talk about this. But like, Yager played almost well, at seven hundred more games than Ovechkin at a high level, so he's he's got some time to go just to match the longevity, and that's that's part of what puts you at the top. Even though I did put Lemieux up there, who very much doesn't have the longevity, um, but Lemieux played what, about 100 less games than Ovechkin, mm-hmm. but has 600 more points. Mm-hmm. So his dominance yeah. kind of keeps him up there, even if he doesn't have the longevity. But I will say with Ovi, if we're going to talk about just pure scorers, nothing else, just I need a guy to score a goal right now. He is already on pace to be the greatest scorer of all time in oh. my book. It's kind of like that home run thing I sent you yesterday. Exactly. If you need a guy to step up, it, it's the third period. You've got 30 seconds left. Faceoffs in your zone. You need you need a goal. Ovechkin has to be when you're rattling off names. Ovechkin can't be too far down that list, and I, I agree with that. Yeah, no, it, and that's exactly the case. I mean, this is a guy that's playing in an era that, since the dead puck era, this is one of the most scoring depressed eras, mm-hmm. and yet. He's managed to be in the top 15 of points scored all time already. This is this is a guy that generates shots at an unheard of pace. Um, since 0506, 313 times the player had more than 10 shots in a game. 47 of those are Ovi. Like this, this is unheard of. He owns the record for most shots in a single game. Now, I, I think that was just the last 10 years, but still, 15 shots in a game. It happened to come against our own Detroit Red Wings, and he mm. didn't score that day because Peter Mrazek said, you're not setting the record for most goals by a Russian-born player. Not, not in the Joe. Um, but that's just that's ridiculous. You'll, you'll have teams that might get 20 shots in a game, and he's, and he's getting 15, he's getting 10 regularly whenever he wants. 
this is a guy has he has 70 more goals in the last 10 years than the next closest guy. He is an unheard of scorer, and I, and I'm 100% okay with putting him as the best goal scorer of all time, but not quite the best forward of all time. Okay. So can I, can I ask a follow up question to that? What? Yeah. Because like I said, some criteria, obviously. So I'm giving some assumptions into the future. Yeah, yeah. What would he have to do to crack your top five? Uh, he would. Well, first off, he's going to have to play like six, seven hundred more games. First off, to get up there, because you got guys like Howe and Yager that are up at, at almost eighteen hundred games. And mm-hmm. Yager's just passed a thousand yards or thousand, geez, thousand, thousand game oh. mark. <laughs> no, I'm I'm jumping back to football. Sorry. Um, so he's got to play a little longer, and and being a winger, maybe he can stretch a game out a little further. Being a power play specialist, even you know he he's got avenues to continue that score, that scoring prowess, and he has to continue it. So he has to not jump back to the KHL or retire anytime soon. And he has to keep putting in 30, 40 goal seasons. I mean, two years ago, there was rumors about he's done. Right? He's not going to be anything more than a 30-goal scorer. And, uh, and and Ovi's breaking down. Well, he came back, and he's absolutely tearing it up again. So if, if he keeps this up, if he staves off the concerns about his physical style of play and continue to put in 40 year after year, that's what I need. And I'm going to need about four to five more years of the 40 goals. Okay. okay. Uh, my my thing with that is I that you mentioned his physical play. Uh, the the comparable guy is Gordy. Gordy was a goal scorer who was very very physical. He was a physical exactly. player. I don't see it. Gordy Howe was a freak of nature when it came to longevity. The, the and fact, that's what you have to be to be one of the best of all time. Well, that that's fair. But like and. Yager obviously had the longevity, but Yager wasn't a, you know, crash you into the boards to get the puck kind of guy. So his longevity is more for that. He wasn't a physical individual in that way. So I I don't see the longevity happening for Ovechkin. Not to say he's done in two years, but I just don't think this is a guy who, when he's 40, is still going to be playing hockey because I just don't think he'll have the body to do it anymore. I don't think he'll be able to play that style unless he can change his game. It, I just can't see him making it to 40 in the NHL. Oh, and yeah, I agree, know. and that's why I don't think I'm going to be able to put him in my top five. Okay. But now my my follow-up question, this is for both of you, and then I'll give my opinion here, but my follow-up question, I'm looking at it right now. Ovechkin currently sits at 644 all-time career goals. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think Gordy and Wayne, Wayne for sure, but Gordy are both probably out of reach. That's you know that's yeah. 170 goals just to catch Gordy and almost 200 and something goal or over 250 goals to catch Wayne. Yep. So 894. Yep. yep. So I'll ask you right now, if let's say he can get let's say he gets to 38, five more years, are we seeing a guy who could potentially be sitting right next to Yarmir Yager with 766 goals? It's 120 goals in five years. I, I absolutely. That's only twenty four goals a year, and that's why I'm that's, saying, like, even yeah, even if he I has a drop off, up, that's what, so in your argument, Russ, uh, of saying mm-hmm. you need to see some stuff from to be the at elite scorer and that elite player. I I explained to me like I and I I don't know if that was your actual list or not of Yarmir Yager being in it, but mm-hmm. 
explain to me how a guy has more goals and plays what he did. Uh, let's say he ends his career with 770. He gets 770 goals. He's third all-time in goals. Something that is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. How does that also not you know, become a factor to help him crack the top five? Uh, it's a factor, but there's more than just goals when I'm looking at it. Um, Ovi would have to more than double his current assist total to get close to Yager. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a big part of it. Is Ovi the best at what he does? Sure. But there's a lot of other parts of the game that I think other guys, such as Yager, have done better. Not to say Ovi's got a bunch of faults. No, he's. I mean, we're, we're in this conversation because these guys have so few of flaws and so great of talent. Yeah. But it's when I'm talking about the best of the best and I'm nitpicking, I need a little more than just all of the goals uh, to put you in the top five because there are guys that have done more. Okay. What I love, too, about this, and I think this might just be our hatred of him, there's literally a guy that was drafted a year after him who no one's even remotely brought up to being in that conversation, and that's Sidney Crosby. I'm not putting him in the conversation. I'm just pointing out that, all these years, everyone's operated under the assumption that Sidney Crosby is the best player on the planet. And when it's all said and done, you're going to hear Wayne, Gordy, and Sidney all mentioned in the same breath. And that doesn't seem to be the case right now or, or anymore. The guy won his cups. He needed to build a little bit of a stacked team to get him. But Sidney Crosby, not, not saying he's not a great player, but he has sort of kind of fallen a little bit back in this conversation. No one even brought him up, which oh, I think he, is well, I mean, a, little, a little surprising. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I touched on him, but like, with with Crosby, Ovec, there's no way Ovec, like just the statistical statistically speaking. Jesus, Justin, it's okay. Um, we have Ovi's we have an edit up, button. <laughs> no, it, it's raw, and what also is raw is the fact that Ovi is just going to have better points than Crosby. He already has more points. He's played more games. He's got more goals than Crosby. Crosby has assists on him, which is fine, and that also touches on what Russ was just saying about you know Ovechkin's assist total is really low. Um, compared to the other guys up there, um, I just I don't see Crosby. Crosby protects his game and his brand. Like you know, when that two seasons ago when he like took the first thirty off because he wanted to preserve his body for the you know the other three fourths of the year for playoffs. Yeah, that's that's a tactical move, which was pretty smart. But Crosby is more for the team. Not to say Ovechkin's not a team guy, but Crosby will do whatever it takes for the whole team to win. Ovechkin just they just need to feed him the puck. And to kind of circle back on the, the last uh, topic there, Ovechkin will sustain those goals, but without a doubt, I guarantee you he has to change his game. You keep getting the Elias Pettersons that keep coming up and the McDavid's and all these guys who are just a step quicker because they will always be a step quicker as every year keeps going on and on and on. Ovechkin's not going to be able to hang with them. He's not going to be able to throw his weight around. He'll have to slow down and just basically sit at the top of the circle and just keep putting pucks in the net. Okay. Yeah, Jay. I again. I, you know, I don't listen when you talk. So, uh, I, I, I always get that in one episode at a time. I'm not really. I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure. Take a shot. I, I I feel like there wasn't the answer there for you. Do you think that he could end up his career third all time in goals? Yeah. Oh yeah. Because he, he's he's an animal. He'll change his game. I, I guarantee you, he changes his game to get there. There's no way if if he throws his weight around like he does now, like you know, three, four, five years from now then he, he's just a freak of nature and he should be in the top three. But I don't think he is that caliber and he's going to have to change his game and he will get those goal totals. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, 
The the other thing is he's only played a year more, and he's got two thousand and like eight hundred more shots than Sidney Crosby does. So oh, he just mm-hmm. he generates shots like no one's yeah. business. It's unreal. Um, so <clears throat> after discussing all this, uh. I'm I'm kind of with both of you. I kind of actually picked the middle here. He cracks the top five, but he's five. Like he he's there are there are players right there behind him that you could make the argument should be there too. And I like with both of you. I need to see more. I think he he's gonna get to the 700 mark, but I think he needs to push as high as he can in that and potentially get to number you know at least tie Yager uh, to con, you know to confirm that. But for me, I mean it's Gretzky. It's Gretzky for everyone. It's very hard not for it to be. Uh, then I go Homer there, but partly because I made the argument earlier with you, Jay. Uh, it's Gretzky. It's Gordy. It's Nick. I, this guy was the perfect hockey player. So I put him there, and then it's Yager. I, you know, what, how for how long this guy played and how high of a level he played, and he's still a guy that can play this game. For that fact that he was doing what he was doing for as long as he did, he's one of the most – elite players to ever do it. And then it's Ovechkin. The guy has been an amazing scorer uh, that if you needed a goal, who are you going to? Uh, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of too many guys I picked before Alexander Ovechkin when I'm uh, putting that list together. So he's a, he's a top five all-time guy. Uh, he doesn't seem to be slowing down. I would love to see him play the way he plays 240, but I think there's going to have to be a change in the game. But one thing I don't see going away is that shot. Uh, this guy genuinely could go to 770 in the goals uh, and just keep climbing. He's he's a hell of a hockey player, and uh, I've always been a fan of him. It's it's like that, you know, when LeBron got drafted, I was a big Carmelo guy. I like that other guy. I want to see that other guy succeed. So to see Ovechkin succeed when he's one year ahead of the, you know, a guy who is going to be the next big thing, and to see him succeed as much as he has is just amazing. He got his cup last year. He solidified himself. He's one of the greatest players to ever do this. So, I mean, like we always say, it's a debate. There, there's no right or wrong answer to this because everybody's got a different opinion. Jay, you've got your criteria. He doesn't check off the criteria to be numero uno for obvious reasons. And, uh, you know, it, it's the eye test. So it, it's cool to see, and he's one hell of a one hell of a hockey player. A lot of fun. Uh, I hope he wins another cup so I can see him get absolutely obliterated for two years in a row. Yes, please. I think he's probably going through withdrawals right now because he hasn't had enough alcohol from celebrating. So, uh, moving on, we're going to actually talk NBA real real, real quick. Uh, Anthony Davis, one of the best centers in the league, has said he no longer wants to play for the Pelicans. He's done. Doesn't want anything to do with them. Wants to be traded to a team with viable chances to be successful. Uh, the problem is most of those viable teams are viable because of the players they have and the fact that they don't have a lot of money to spend on a guy who is one of the highest paid players in the league. Uh, Davis is averaging twenty, almost 30 points a game, 13 rebounds, 37 minutes a game. He's shooting 50%. He's one of those guys that can step behind the three-point line and shoot it effectively. Uh, but in an article I sent you guys earlier, the Pelicans have this really great strategy for trading him. They're just not answering the phone. This is a team that knows they don't have to get rid of him. They like he, He's got a contract. He has to be on this team. And in the article, it even says once the season ends, they'll know all these first-round picks they're being offered. 
they'll know where they're at. Instead of potentially taking one that could not pan out for them, they can pick whoever has the best first-round pick because they already have one of their own, and the tank's on for them. So, Russ, looking at this situation, if you're the Pelicans, do you feel any pressure to try to get this deal done before the deadline? Absolutely not. It's it's not like they were going to make a difference one way or the other in trading them in the, at, at this point. Does it make them so bad that they're going to get the top pick? No, probably not. There's not enough runway left. Does keeping him make them a championship-caliber team? No. no. So the number one thing that matters is getting the most out of this trade that you possibly can. Davis has already tried to tank that value by by going out and freely admitting that he is requesting a trade and even getting fined for doing so, which, hey, was 50 k to him. He makes that in eight minutes during a game. So it's trivial to him. But still, it, it hurts the value a little bit because – you, they, everyone knows he's trying to get gone, right? So you got to try and play whatever moves you can to hold on to him. And if that's waiting and not answering calls and making other teams come to you with offers, then by all means do it because you've got one job and it's it's to try and salvage this. New Orleans has already lost their franchise once. They uh, need to do better if they're going to lose their franchise player. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, GM Justin, you're you're all about the tank. You love it. Take it, you know, drive it into the ground, 100% low as you can go. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're if you're the Pelicans, Russ even just said it. You have no reason to have to get rid of this guy before the deadline. But as a GM, knowing what you know, what kind of offer does a team have to bring you before this deadline for you to even remotely go, okay, we can talk. I mean, I don't know what kind of guarantees or, you know, risk you can alleviate on your own end for the trade. I didn't even know you could get fined for requesting a trade. The fact that he had to fork up money. Well, he got he got fined because his agent went and right. said this. Like, like, without consulting the Pelicans, the Pelicans didn't even know anything about this. His agent just went to a, uh, a news source and told them. So there was no internal conversation here. The Pelicans went and got their coffee yesterday morning assuming that Anthony Davis was a very content basketball player and when they got to work they turned on their computers and saw that he no longer wants to be there so this was Lovely. more of one of this was more of one of those like you didn't even give your team a chance to to be a part of this you just chose to go in the you know opposite direction so yeah, that I'm, fine like, is I'm, more probably always... towards his agent but his agent can't afford that fine so they give it to Davis and Davis makes it work like I, but like I'm always on the players side of things. Like the teams have to run a company. I get that angle of it, but the players are still humans. They get to control their own careers. If I want to quit my job today, I can do it and leave. Or if I want to post it on social media, like you know, like I just, I'm more geared towards that. But um, I don't know what what they would have to get to guarantee. If you know that you can wait to get, you know, some understanding of where if you're going to trade a first in in the next draft, and you know where that first is going to come. You wait for that. So if they do it now, I'd just be they, – they would have to be – I mean, it'd have to be something, like, incredible for them to understand it now. And I don't think there is any other option but to wait. So, though it's funny listening to the fact that they're not picking up their phones because I think it's hilarious, um, they're, they're, they, wait till you know what you know. Like, why why do it now when you can just wait? But yeah. 
I, I hope he goes and plays where he wants to because they're, they're not assets. They're players. They deserve to have a career and live and play where they want. So I'm always on team player whenever this stuff pops up. Oh, and I, I'm completely not faulting him for making this decision. Like, this is this is your career. You only get a limited time to do this, so you might as well do it the way you want to do it. And he's a guy with such amazing athletic talent that he, he is a, a commodity. Everybody wants this guy on their team. But you look at the NBA, there's really only a handful of teams that legitimately can say, we have a chance of winning a title this year. So, and like I said before, in order for you to keep that going, that he's going to want to keep, or want to go there, you have to keep those players. And the problem is, in order to get him, you're not going to be able to keep those players. That's like that's like saying, hey, uh, Connor McDavid wants to come to the Red Wings. He wants to play for the Red Wings. Well, in order for that trade to happen, I could promise you that one of those big-name players we have or highlight players we have, young players, will not be there. And that's one of the drawing points for him. Hey, I want to play with Dylan Larkin. Well, unfortunately for us to be able to get you, we're not going to be able to keep Dylan Larkin because he's probably the best thing we have uh, you know, in trade value. It's like that. You, you're not going to be able to go to Boston because in order for Boston to get you, they're going to have to get rid of Kyrie. You're not going to be able to go to L.A., because in order for L.A. to get you, they might not have to give up LeBron, but they're going to have to give up about five other pieces that were all key to that team having success. Golden State's not going to be able to keep you or get you while holding on to Durant and Steph Curry. Same with, you know, Houston with, uh, you know, Harden. It, it, he's too big of a player. So, really, there is no good trade that can happen here it, it, before the deadline that in all benefits them. Because any team you're going to trade him to is going to lose out on having playoff ability because they're going to have to give up so much to get them. So uh, I, I kind of agree with this. We're not picking up the phone situation because you have nothing to lose here. You're, you're tanking for a first-round pick anyway. You know, you're not going to get the first overall pick, but you're, you're tanking for a pick. You know you're going to get a first overall pick for him. The guy's 25 years old. He, he's got a lot of basketball in front of him, and he's got to sign a contract. So this is kind of a situation where you're still going to get paid, but – we, we need to see you play the rest of the year so we know if you're worth this max contract you think you should get. So, I mean, we'll see what happens there. But uh, if I'm if I'm Pelicans, you are 100% in the driver's seat, and it's a, it's a nice car you're driving. So we'll see what happens. Uh, should be fun. Uh, now we're going to stay with basketball because there's another trade that could potentially happen. Uh, this is what the Pistons, who are driving an old beat-up jalopy of a team right now, uh, Marcus Gasol, the – Memphis Grizzlies center, one of the better players uh, over the last 10 years. Re- you know, a hell of a basketball player. A little older, he's 34. But uh, Memphis has said they're more than more than willing to uh, part ways with him before the trade deadline. Uh, 33 minutes a game. He's uh, averaging 15, just over 15 and a half points, just under nine rebounds, you know, shooting 44%. The, I mean, the guy's played good. I mean, you're looking at it right now, he's pretty much playing – pretty close to his career stats across the board. So he's not playing bad basketball right now. Memphis is just a bad team. Jay, it's kind of that same thing. You look at this Pistons roster, which does not have a lot of talent to uh, to bargain with if they want to stay effective. If you're the Pistons, is there any chance you can work out this deal where Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin are still playing basketball for you at the end of the day? I mean, I, I don't know how the the money situation is, to be honest, to make that work. But just uh, the idea of bringing that. So, you know why they probably want to get rid of him? Because he's old. 
and he probably did just fine over there, but they probably want to get some young future, you know, pieces to work with. And that is the opposite direction. I think the Pistons could go in is to grab something that's older. Like we're not, we're not competing for conference championships in Detroit in our new arena right now. So the fact that, you know, we can even consider taking on an old dude who probably outstayed his welcome elsewhere, who probably wants to be traded for younger pieces. Like, no, that's what we need to be doing. We need the younger pieces. We need to be drafting correctly and building something bigger. So I just, I don't like the idea because I think it implies, okay, we're going to win within the next two or three years. Cause if it, I, I just, it's like, no, we need smaller, younger pieces to, to build off of. And I know that they've got money issues galore. That's all I hear and read about. So I just, I, I would rather them not have this trade happen for them at all. Yeah. For me though, the thing that kind of sticks out is, Blake Griffin's 29. Andre Drummond's 25. Both still young, still have some time. Marc Gasol is a little bit older. But your biggest problem here is Drummond's not going anywhere. I'm, I'm almost positive we just gave him a contract not too long ago. But Blake Griffin is going somewhere. He doesn't have to stay after, I believe, next year. I believe he only had three years left on his deal, and he's in year two of it now. So... You need to show Blake Griffin that staying here means something. And you have to start wondering, it's clearly not Andre Drummond. He never pan, He hasn't panned out to be this elite next Shaq center we thought he was going to be. Of, I mean, he still averages a double-double, but he has never panned. I mean, the guy's averaging 16 points and about 15 rebounds a game. So not that far off in the scoring of uh, Marcus Gasol. He's got more rebounds. But you have to start showing Blake Griffin, please don't leave. We want to build this team around you, but we, you know, he's not going to believe that unless he sees something. Marc Gasol is a name. He, he'll, he'll, he'll bring other players with him because people have played with him, know he's an elite player. So, Russ, does this trade, you know, Jay said, this says we're, we're going to win soon. Does this trade say that, or does it more of a, a chip to show Blake Griffin, hey, you kind of want, you want Marc Gasol, we went out and got Marc Gasol for you. We're, we're going to start building around you. We just need to know what it's going to take to keep you here. I, I think Justin did it right on the head that this would be a very short-sighted trade. And, and just to do a little fact-checking on this, Marcus Gasol is making $24 million, got two years left. Uh, Drummond's got three years left, making $25 million, And Blake Griffin has four years left at 32. Oh, he has a longer contract. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, Griffin, Griffin's pretty well stuck here until – probably about the time where he'd have his last chance at getting a decent contract. Um, and then after that, probably age out, and his, his earning will go down quite a bit. Yeah. But this is, this is something that I, I look at this team and I look where they struggle, and does adding another pure center like Marcus Salt change that? It, he doesn't help the three-point shooting. He's a better distributor than Andre Drummond. Right? He averages almost five assists per game. Um, but he's not as good of a rebounder. He is scoring less. He's not really going to help with spacing too much. Um, and, and you're getting older. Um, I, I took a look at the you know top five pure centers in terms of rebounds because if you hey you pick up two guys like this, that's a very old school win the boards thing. Um, teams that had those centers, only one of them are in the playoffs. That's not the way that a successful team is built in today's NBA. Um, so. If, if you're going to use what little trade assets the Pistons have to go make a move, go get somebody who can shoot the three, please. <laughs> go, get, go get somebody that can play with Blake Griffin, with Andre Drummond, and not either be a bench player or 
have to send Drummond or something else on the way back. Like, there's other needs, and we don't need to double down on yet another big on a league that's constantly getting smaller. Well, and that's that's what I was saying is, too, if you look at this trade from any standpoint, I don't see how Griffin and Drummond are still sitting on this bench No. when the dust settles and Gasol gets to Detroit. They're, he's still a name. He still is playing at a decent enough level that it doesn't, like, you know, Drummond and Griffin can't be out. And it is for that, too. You have three guys that all play pretty much the same position, and it's going to be near impossible to have them all on the court at the same time. And whatever you trade for Gasol, he's not going to come here and be your sixth man or being coming off the bench. He's a starting center in this league. So is Drummond. So is Griffin. So And Griffin's not fast enough to play the small forward position. He's bigger and he's more dominant than a lot of small forwards, but he's going to get beat on, off the dribble every time. So he becomes a liability there. So I like this trade if you're telling me that Andre Drummond's not here when it's done. I, I'm not a big fan of the guy. I don't think that he ever lived up to the potential. And, you know, he's 25. It's not like his whole career's over. But he's never really lived up to the potential that he should have had. The guy is a stature-wise is, is a freak of nature. He's athletically gifted. The guy can jump, like, out of the gym. He he can he averages a double-double in rebounds. But this is a guy that with all that potential, there is absolutely no reason he could not average 20 rebounds a night and probably 20 points a night. I mean, let's be honest. He's bigger than everybody else. You give it to him down low, tell him to shoot the ball 15 times, he should be able to make at least eight or nine of those shots and then go to the free throw line too. So, Oh, free throw line though. Oh, he's terrible on the free throw Yikes. line. I'm just saying though, you, you score nine, nine layups. That's 18 points. You get fouled a couple of those times. You, all you got to do is make two of your 10 free throws you're going to take. Sounds you about got, right. You got 20 points. So, Sounds about his face. Well, and it is true, but that's what I'm saying is this is a guy who he he's literally holding on to a reputation. He he There was potential there, and he's still holding on to the fact that, hey, because every once in a while he'll go off and get 24 points and, like, 27 rebounds. And it's like, mm-hmm. he's back. He's dominant. But then the next week he doesn't average more than 12 rebounds a game. When you're on this team to be a rebounder, that's all we need from you. The scoring's bonus, and you should be capable of doing it. So I like this trade for the fact that Gasol is also a guy that knows his role. He knows that he's coming here. He's coming here knowing this is Blake Griffin's team. Drummond also sometimes doesn't seem to understand this is Blake Griffin's team. Blake Griffin set a pace the other night. He's the first guy to average 29 points a game for the Pistons since Jerry Stackhouse in like 2002. Yeah. So this is Blake Griffin's team. Until you can go out there and average 30 points a night and 15 rebounds, Drummond, this is his team. So unfortunately, you are an expendable piece in that. Now, if you can go out and show you're worthy of being here, I'll rethink the trade altogether. I won't, you won't even hear me mention Gasol. But until you can do that, Gasol's the bigger name. Gasol's the guy who, you know, knows his role and knows what he needs to do. So I'm going to I'm gonna have to stick with him on this one. So, I mean, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Pistons need to do something. I, I agree with you that the shooter is definitely a, uh, a, a big thing. It's a necessity for us. I like Luke Kennard, but they don't seem to want to use him as much as they should. So well, You need more than just, I mean. Oh, I'm not saying you don't need more than that. The rest of talent yeah. with offensive shooting. Yeah. And to be honest, some of the guys that have been mentioned as a package with Gasol are good players. Chandler Parsons is a good shooter and a, a wing player. 
really what we need is a real point guard. We don't have that. We've got Reggie Jackson yep. who doesn't understand what he is in the NBA and is very arrogant because when he was asked uh, how he feels coming into the trade deadline, he's like, I'm not too worried. I'm used to being a, uh, a needed commodity. Well, that doesn't say anything because you've been traded yeah. twice in your career. Yeah. So, well, he was needed for teams that were going to lose soon. Absolutely. So we'll see what happens there. Um, our last piece of topic, I, I, we got away from hockey real quick because I wanted to talk about this. But I, like I said, we were going to try to stay with Detroit as much as we could. This is a little bit of a, a pipe dream story because we don't even know how credible it really is, if it's true, or if we would even be in the running for this to happen. But uh, at least last week, if not a little bit before that, uh, we read an article that said Pavel Datsuk is considering coming back to the NHL at 40. This is pretty basic. Uh, I think I already know what Jay's going to say. And Jay's been quiet for a little bit, so I, I need to hear what he has to say. Justin, if we were in the running and if it was a true story, how open would you be to Pavel Datsuk being on the Red Wings again? I, I liked the idea for about two seconds, and then my my you know my guttural instinct is hell no. Like it, <laughs> it like it, it was great, but when we got rid of him and we gave him to Phoenix. I don't know if it was Phoenix at the time. I don't. I remember when they changed their city name, but whatever. The Coyotes took him, right? Yep. You know what we got out yep. of that? We got Chalowski and Horonic out of it. Those those were our picks from that deal. And that's the exact direction the team needs to go, is young and many guys paying them rookie contracts and getting them on this team. So bringing a 40-year-old specialist, sure, he can come to the Red Wings in a role that is behind the other side of the glass and not on the ice. Like that's the only way he could come back to our team. Um, I know he was over in the KHL for a while for his daughter, but um, I don't want that. I want the Chalowskis and the Heronics on our team much quicker than I want Datsuk and whatever he's got left in the tank. So that's that's a hard pass. Okay, that's and that's fair because to be honest, I you know Datsuk he, he left to go back over there. Everybody understood it. You know it was a little tough here in Detroit. 40 isn't exactly a number that says you can be doing this at a high level much longer. So, I mean, we'll see what comes out of it. But, Russ, I mean, we're, we talk about the speculation of Iserman coming back. We talk about, we're talking about this. If you're a Red Wings fan, that that's at least some piece of nostalgia who could potentially be upbeat for the Red Wings. Are you open to this? Or are you kind of with Jay that, you know, we loved having you here. Why don't we end on a high note of all the great things you did? We don't really want to see the potential downfall. Uh, I'm I'm okay with him coming back for a ceremonial jersey retirement. <laughs> That's about it. Like this is the this is exactly like the rumors of Harbaugh going to the NFL that we hear every year. And this is the second year in a row where we're getting oh, Datsu might be open to a return. Like this, if we're fishing here, we're more likely to come back with a boot on the line than a bite. This is not. I'm not buying into this one bit. And if you're the wings, are you uh? a 40-year-old Pavel Datsuk away from seriously competing for the Cup? No. No, no, you're not. So he's – look around the league. Look at what it takes to win, and you've got to have value from young players. Tampa Bay has Point, right, who's tremendously outperforming his contract. Boston has Pasternak. We can, we can go through the league. That's how, you, that's how you win today is by having young, good players outperforming their contracts before you have to pay them big. That's not what's going to happen with bringing back that dude. Do I love the guy? Absolutely. And I'm going to watch his highlights for the rest of my life. Um, but it was great, and let's, let's leave it where it belongs, in the past. 
you know what? That that honestly just feels like a great way to end it. In the past, I, I I'm, I'm with you guys that you know the ceremonial jersey retirement that'd be cool. See you come back to Detroit for a little bit. See you standing next to Zeddy. All the you know all the memories, all the highlights. That'd be great. To see him out on the ice, I, I like it, but I like it for more when we have a Winter Classic again and they do the alumni game. I yep. like it for that. Let's see you out there doing that because you were great for us. You really were. Right? We had the conversation of where he is all time in Red Wings, and he, he's, he's part of that conversation and probably will be for a very, very long time. But you're 40. There's only a handful of guys that were able to do this effectively after 40. You played a game where you weren't a physical person but you were very your, your game was based on being very very great with the hand-eye coordination and I just don't know how effective he can be at that at 40 with these you know 22 year olds that are much faster and have spent their whole life watching you do it and have figured out a way to do it just as effectively so we'll see what happens with it it'd be it'd be cool to see but I don't think it's going to happen and if you're Steve Eiserman or if you're the Detroit Red Wings Something tells me, you know, bringing back an old big name isn't the, the, the first step to a better direction. So we'll see what happens. Uh, that's going to do it for us here today. Packed show, lots of good things. Uh, my thanks to Russ Ivanak. Hey, uh, thanks for having us. And uh, congratulations to our, a longtime listener, Eric Kibler. Got engaged. Yeah, he did. Happy Congrats for you, to buddy. you, buddy. Yeah, that's great. I saw that. That's pretty awesome. Uh, Justin Marcus, we always appreciate you, buddy. You, uh, you keep us grounded and don't let us think too many crazy thoughts. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the stable one in the group. I'm, I'm sensing that now. I don't know about <laughs> so. stable, but we'll say you're somewhat <laughs> rational from time to time. <laughs> hey, I, I always love being, I love doing this, man. So it, it, it's all my pleasure. You yeah. know that. Yeah, it's a great time. And uh, I'm your host, Eric Dorsch. Uh, for some odd reason, they keep letting me host this show. And all I can say is I love doing it. I appreciate every moment of it. It's always a great time. So uh, that is one small step for us, one giant leap back in Detroit sports broadcasting. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul.